Our first scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid, says the towns of Judah. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here again, God's word. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Today we continue our journey through the season of Advent. Our readings today for the second Sunday from Isaiah and Mark, as they were last week. And they both continue the message of preparation and anticipation of the coming Christ. 
We remember last week that we read from Mark 13 where it discussed Jesus' second coming. And we discussed how this seemed out of place since we're looking forward to Christmas instead. And you'll recall, as the kids did, that the theme was hope. But today we go back to the first chapter of Mark and its very beginning. And since many of our readings this month are going to be uh, from Mark, this is a good opportunity for us to look more closely at this book and talk about some background information regarding the gospel. At our Wednesday evening Bible study, Roger knows, before Tony left, we were, we, were, we were studying Mark and we just completed it when Tony left. And during the study, we learned that Mark is the shortest of all the gospels and it was the first written. Both Matthew and Luke seem to have used Mark as a reference for some of their material, but those books expanded on the events of those, of those times. But Mark is brief and doesn't have much detail. Mark doesn't begin with the genealogy of Jesus like Matthew and Luke, and there's no nativity story. He just gets right to the point. Many of us with gray or no hair remember the 1960s and 70s TV show Dragnet. You remember Jack Webb playing a police detective named Joe Friday. Now, Joe was very solemn and he didn't show much emotion. And when a witness began rambling on and on about something, Joe would frequently say to the person in a very deadpan manner, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. We could say that Mark operates in the same mentality. Just the facts. He begins with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus and then goes right into the ministry of Jesus. Scholars have suggested that the reason for this is that Mark was trying to get the story out as quickly as possible. In first century Rome, there were many so-called gospels floating around, and he wanted to get something in the people's hands that were regarding the good news of Jesus to counter the many false gospels of the day. Now compare that time to, with ours. It seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Consider today's so-called gospels. The prosperity gospel that promises material blessings as a sign of God's faithfulness. The consumer gospel that promises healing and wholeness through shopping, consumption, and the accumulation of things. The feel-good gospel that promises escape from the pressures of the world through drugs, alcohol, sports, or media and entertainment. We see evidences of these every day. But our focus today should be on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which promises salvation through a human being who was also the Son of God. That is the true gospel. Mark also emphasizes in the first verse that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, which means not just the earliest part of it, but also its foundation. 
The Gospels beginning is marked in distinct ways with an appeal to an earlier prophecy from Isaiah, which we read this morning, and with repentance and baptism. Mark looks back to Isaiah for confirmation that the future God promises is about to be made present. Now, humans have a long history of looking back at the past for confidence in the future. Economists look back to previous trends to predict possibilities for the future. Psychotherapy invites people to look back at previous life events. Pollsters look at past voting trends to project election outcomes, and some races they call the moment they close the polls. The beginning of Mark's gospel starts off by pulling from the past and reminding his readers of God's promises of the future. It is deeply rooted in God's promise made in the past. After this, Mark jumps right into the introducing John the Baptist. Now, John is an interesting character. He's a mixture of the past and present. Today, we might refer to him as an odd duck. His mother and his father were both descendants from the priestly line of Aaron. Yet John does not fit the mold of the priest of his time. He ministers out in the countryside, not at the temple in Jerusalem. His diet of locusts and wild honey and his clothing of camel's hair reflect those of a mystic rather than a member of the elite. He comes preaching a message of repentance and baptism. Now, when we think of repentance, we tend to think of fire and brimstone. And it's characterized by cartoons with a long-bearded man and his sign which announces that the end of the world is coming and calling on people to repent lest they be damned eternally. We might think that, that John is no different. And it's no wonder that people get turned off by that message. That message of repentance. But the Greek word for repent simply means to change. Repentance, then, just simply means to change, to turn around and walk in a new direction. John is saying that people need to change to be prepared to meet the one who is coming. Evidently, his followers understood this meaning of repentance and were comfortable with it. They came from all over the countryside to hear him, what he had to say. Now, many people in that position, with that kind of following, would let their egos get the best of them. They would think it was all about them. Now, John is not one of those people. Instead, he say, says that he is only there to prepare the way for something and someone bigger. So we start off the book of Mark with a look back at the past and with a call to look towards the future. And it is John who's preparing the way. We can probably agree that most of us want to get credit. We want to, know, we want to be known as the one who got the job done. Business leaders don't make the headlines by saying, well, it wasn't me, there was a messenger who came before me and in fact prepared the way. No, that would never fly. 
No politician would ever stop to thank the person they replaced from the rival party. Newly elected senators and representatives seldom acknowledge the work that happened before they arrived on Capitol Hill. Instead, they behave if their appearance on the scene marks the beginning of time itself. <laughs> our culture loves everything new and easily forgets our debts to history. So our leaders portray themselves as masters of the turnaround. To hear today's stories of leadership, you would think nothing good happened until they got there to turn around the general incompetence of the organization. They think of themselves as the saviors. And it's probably safe to say that none of them are giving thanks or saying that someone, they're only preparing the way for someone else. Oh, they'll say that, you know, we're doing it for future generations. But without giving any credit to the leaders of those future generations and what they might bring to the table. No, it's all about them. Our church is 75 years old this year. We had a celebration in August to recognize this. We had photos scattered around the church remembering our past, which was good. Much has happened and changed in the past 75 years. We remember those who came before us. Every organization and every person should pause and remember where we came from. We all had someone that supported us and paved the way. We did not get here by ourselves. And based on our reading this morning, even Jesus had someone who came before him to prepare the way. It says the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So we should look back and remember and recognize our past, but we should also look towards the future. We need to prepare the way for those who come after us. During this time between ministers, while we need to focus our energies on the present, we must also look to the future. Now you may be asking yourself how all this ties in with the theme of the second Sunday of Advent, which is peace. We discuss peace in the children's message. It is highlighted on the bulletin cover. But nowhere in today's reading can you find the word peace. We must dig deeper to find what peace is and how it applies to our theme today. <clears throat> our common understanding of peace is that it's the freedom from disturbance. We think of tranquility, calmness, lack of stress, lack of war. Now compare that to John the Baptist's person and proclamation, repentance and baptism. The kind of peace that Jesus will bring seems far from the absence of discomfort. Instead, it is the promise of baptism with the Holy Spirit, enabling believers to act with God's power in the world. It is a state of wholeness marked by the gift of God's power. It is power given to enact God's promises in the world. Peace is knowing that the Lord of the universe is by our side. 
and our resting in and claiming that. In this way, the beginning of Mark's gospel not only signals the beginnings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also the beginning of the church's mission in this world. It is our mission here as we strive with God's help to prepare the way. Amen.